Church. It's good to be with you tonight. Very grateful uh, to be able to share with you um, as we continue um, kind of a sermon series, if you will, as we uh, break apart the Lord's Prayer and kind of tackle it piece by piece. Uh, tonight, if you have your Bible or if you want to look in your notes or on the screen, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, once again, uh, we're going we're gonna to read a little bit before what we've read the past couple of weeks, um, but just so that we're all on the same page, we're starting in verse 7 here. If you have not been here for the past couple of weeks, um, we are, again, focusing on the Lord's Prayer. Now, to give you a little bit of a backdrop of what's going on, Jesus in Matthew 6, his fame has already spread through the region. People are coming out in droves to hear his teaching. Uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit has come upon him. Every word that he says is piercing the souls of people that are listening. So continually people are just coming to hear from this prophet. And the Bible says that he begins to teach in Matthew chapter 5. He is teaching what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as he begins to teach, there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that are coming to listen to him. And as they begin to come, uh, it is a motley crew, a mixed multitude of so many different people. There are people there, obviously, who were Jews, but in the uh, midst of those Jews, some of those are peasants, some of them are tax collectors, some of them are shepherds. And then what we have is this other segment of people, um, which are Gentiles. These are people outside of the Jewish race, and these people are all coming, again, because the anointing is just flowing through this prophet. And so as we pick up here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about a lot of different things. He's given instruction on what it means to have right relationship with the Lord and with other people. And in the midst of this, he begins to talk about prayer. And as he does, he picks up here in verse 6, and this is what the scripture says. It says, Jesus told them, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Some translations say the hypocrites do. So we're not really sure if Jesus right here is speaking to people who are Jewish that are hypocritical or if he is speaking to Gentiles. Most likely he's just talking to everybody of every type of Jewish or religious flavor. And so he says, don't heap up empty phrases like the hypocrites do for they think they will be heard for their many words. So in ancient Middle Eastern cultures, um, there, were, there, were, there was the Jewish religion, but then there were all kind of different religions in that region. And one of the many practices, they would fast just like Jews, they would pray just like Jews, but oftentimes in their praying, what they would begin to do is to utter these mantras. And so they would have these mantras and they would wave back and forth and they would just constantly just heap up all these mantras again and again and again. So Jesus comes to him and he says, listen, you, when you pray like this, you won't be heard for your many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Lord, as we do open 
the word tonight, we pray for that same anointing that rested on Jesus to rest on us, not only to speak the word of the Lord, but to receive the word of the Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do the work that no man can do and that you will mature us, you will grow us, you will develop us, that you will help us to pray more like Jesus every time that we come before you. So I pray for your blessing, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. R.C. Sproul is one of the, um, he's one of the, the greatest expositors of scripture, probably one of the greatest, especially in the last century for sure. Um, one time I was reading, he talked about a conversation that he had had with a man who was part of a relief organization after the Korean War. After the Korean War, um, there were so many people that lost their lives. There were adults who could not afford to feed their children. There were adults who couldn't take care of their children. And so there were so many children who were orphaned following the war. And so with so many people vacant, the children were just kind of left to fend for themselves. And so the United Nations, some, some different organizations would come together and they would set up these relief camps for the children. So they would have tents and they would have housing and they would nurture the children. They would make sure that they got fed and water and uh, nurture taken care of. And these relief workers, whether they were Christians or not, um, they, would, they would take care of the children. They would try to counsel the children. Um, the relief worker that was speaking with Mr. Sproul, he talked about a very unique phenomenon that they ran into with so many of these children. He said that the trauma of war had taken its toll on the children so much that there were moments of anxiety that where children were absolutely, they could not be consoled. They were, it was out of control. No one could do anything but just stay away from the child, make sure the child didn't hurt themselves, hurt other people. Um, it was a high level of anxiety almost throughout the camp. The trauma had taken such a deep effect. And so uh, the relief worker is telling his story and he's saying, but months and months and months later, as the children would grow accustomed to this new lifestyle, they would grow accustomed to um, the, the workers that would care for them. He said the anxiety, the outbursts would kind of subside and they would become less and less and less. But he said the phenomenon that stuck out to him more than any other is that in the months that followed the war after the trauma and the emotion have kind of subsided, is that the children, even though they were fed three square meals every single day, Every single day they were fed, they were, they were you know, given drink, they were taken care of every single day. When nighttime came and the relief workers would begin to take them to their quarters uh, to go to bed, um, the workers began to notice that the children's anxiety would all of a sudden, it would spike again. It would go through the roof. They would begin having fits. They would be so upset. And what he found from child to child to child is that there was this hyper anxiety, not about the war, not about their family that had died or abandoned them or what the future was going to look like. The relief workers said that the children were so concerned that they were going to wake up the next day and have no food to eat. 
These children had been through war. Obviously, there were times where they went days, sometimes maybe even weeks, without eating food. And so for whatever reason, this stuck out to them. And for a plethora of children, nothing else was bothering them months into this process except the fact that they would be so concerned that the next day they would not have food. And so this specific relief worker was telling R.C. Sproul that one of the other relief workers got an epiphany one time. I, I, I can't imagine it not being anything but the Lord's idea that filled his mind. And the relief worker got all the children to line up before bed. And he went around and he took a loaf of bread and he went and he broke off a piece of the bread and he would put a piece in every single child's hand. He would just put a piece of bread in every single child's hand. And as he did that, he said something kind of miraculous happened that after the first few nights, the children, as long as they had a piece of bread in their hand, that somehow their fear of not having food tomorrow would dissipate. It would go away. And he brought about the rationale that it was simply this. It was the relief worker coming to the conclusion that the children, although they had been fed and taken care of today, they did not know that they would be fed and taken care of tomorrow. And this simple piece of bread in their hand reminded them that you were fed today, we took care of you today, and we're going to take care of you tomorrow. And in reality, the Lord's Prayer, especially this portion that we're focusing on tonight, the Lord's Prayer is like a piece of bread in our hand. It's a piece of bread in our hand. It's reminding us that the Father took care of us today. He met the needs of our lives today, whether we realize it or not, our needs have been met today. And in this prayer, he is reminding us, just as he was faithful today, that he will be faithful tomorrow. Took care of the need today, he will be sure to take care of the need tomorrow. It is an assurance, it's a confidence, it's a hope that the Lord says, when you pray this prayer, you are reminded, you are given confidence of the faithfulness of our Father, that just as he takes care of you today, he's going to take care of you tomorrow. Amen. And so tonight we're going to break down uh, this small portion here that talks about uh, where Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. I want to focus really quickly on a, on a very small detail uh, at the very beginning of this where Jesus says, give us, which may not seem like you could make very much out of this, but an important thing happens here that we all need to really pay attention to. It's fascinating to think about how brilliant Jesus is. Right? I think the brilliance of Jesus is so underestimated, especially in Western modern cultures. But Jesus is incredibly brilliant as he prays, as he teaches, as he gives instruction. This is what he says. He note, if you notice at the very first part of the prayer, what does Jesus focus on? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the first part of the prayer, Jesus is wholly focused on the Father. He's saying, focus all your attention on glorifying the Father. But immediately following that, Jesus' shift is from the Father to ourselves and to others, right? So all of a sudden, Jesus isn't just, he's praying to the Father, but he's not just focused on the Father, right? He's focused on the Father, and then he focuses on us and our humanity and our needs, 
right? It's brilliant because Jesus, if you remember earlier in his teaching, what does he say? He says, somebody comes to him and they say, hey, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, to love others as yourself. He says, your first priority is to love the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The second commandment is like it, that we are to focus on loving others, which may include ourselves. And so it's, it's fascinating, even uh, in the uh, Ten Commandments, we see this uh, in Exodus 20, we see this focus in the beginning that is, that is solely focused on the Lord our God, that he is holy, that we're not to make any graven images, that he is the Lord, the one, of, uh, 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 the one God of Israel, right? But a few commandments in, all of a sudden that attention shifts to human relationships, This is what Jesus is reiterating in this prayer. He's saying, let's focus on the Father. And now at this pivotal point, we're going to begin to focus on others as well as ourselves. Notice that when Jesus prays, he does not pray, give me this day my daily bread. What does he say? He says, give us this day our daily bread. And so... This is a very personal prayer, and honestly, oftentimes when I pray the prayer, I say, you know, my Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and and I pray like that, but then when I shift the focus, I do pray, give me this day my daily bread. In other words, Lord, meet my needs. But what Jesus is doing here is he is helping the community, what he is about to build as the church, to understand that this is not just an individualized religion that he is starting. It's not just a movement that is focused on my needs and my wants and my desires. It is a communal movement. We see this played out in the book of Acts, especially in uh, Acts chapter 2, as the church begins to come together. And the Bible says they shared everything that they had. If anybody was in need and someone had it, they would would give to that person. They would sell ample amounts of, of their possessions and their property They would take the finances from that and they would make sure other people were taken care of. In this portion, as Jesus shifts from our Father to us, to us as a community, he is foreshadowing what he's planning to do when the Spirit of God descends and the people of God go out as the ecclesia, as the church, the people who are called out. And so it's very important to see this pivotal moment where he focuses from, even though he's continuing to speak to the Father, he's not talking about the Father, but he's talking about humans and human relationships, human needs. Okay, so he says, give up us this day our daily bread. Now, when Jesus is talking here about bread, it may be interpreted in a number of different ways, okay? Uh, I'm going to run through most of those ways and then focus on one of them for tonight, but let me, let me just remind us just as a teaching point, I know that you know this, so just, you know, this is the, the pastor and me wanted to make sure that you know this. Um, just because there are certain portions of scripture where we read and we say, well, this could be interpreted this way, this way, or this way, we're really not sure which of these ways it could be interpreted. It's very important to understand that when we read the Bible as as individuals, we don't arbitrarily like read a scripture and we say, well, this is what that means to me and therefore that's what it means. That is a poor interpretation of how we read the Bible. That is not what we're doing tonight. 
But there are those moments in scripture where we're just not really sure what the Lord is trying to say in this moment. It could mean three or four different things, and none of these things are necessarily wrong, but we're not saying, yes, this is emphatically what Jesus is saying. We're, we're not really sure, and so we're, we're spreading it out and saying, he could mean this, he could mean that, he could mean this. The trouble is, is that if we begin to interpret things based on how we feel, and we just say, well, this is what the scripture means to me, um, we, we have chaos on our hands, right? Somebody reads scripture where the Bible says, David killed his tens of thousands, and then you're like, man, I, I know some people I don't like right now. You know, I'm, I'm ready to kill some people. And so you take it in your own hands, it's just utter chaos, right? And so it's important that we understand uh, there is a place for proper interpretation, okay? So please don't misunderstand tonight. As I talk about the bread, I'm basically saying that there are probably four or five different schools of thought as to what Jesus may have meant by bread. And again, none of them are necessarily wrong, but we're going to focus on one of those tonight. Are you following me? Everybody got me? Okay, number one is this. When Jesus is praying, give us this day our daily bread, the bread could be related to the Lord's Supper. Okay, so this school of thought thinks that as Jesus saying, is saying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, that he is, he is helping the people understand that this is a privilege as, as the children of God to come to the table of God so that we can receive the supper of God, right? So some people believe that Jesus is strictly talking about receiving the communion when he says, give us this day our daily bread. So they would pray this prayer every time they took communion, which many people would do this daily, okay? Other people would believe that the bread would be related to the, to the presence of Christ, okay? You remember in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, right? So what some people believe is that Jesus is speaking purely in a spiritual sense, okay? So that when I come and I say, give us this day our daily bread, that I'm, that I'm in the spirit realm, I'm feasting off of the spirit of God, if that makes sense. He's, he's nourishing my soul in the spirit realm. So some people think that he is purely talking about spiritual things. Other people would relate bread to scripture, right? So you remember when Christ is in the wilderness and he is being tempted by Lucifer, what does he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that proceed, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so there are some people that believe when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, that Jesus is saying, when you pray this prayer, be it, you know, um, digesting the word of God, be eating of the spiritual food of the word of God. Other people believe that the bread could be related to what we call the marriage supper of the lamb, okay? Now, if you're a new Christian or have no idea what that weird phrase I just used means, um, let, me, let me just explain it a little bit. We believe that at the culmination of human history, that there is going to be an event where all of God's children are gathered together for what we call the marriage supper of the lamb, right? Right? 
And so um, this is not a new, it's not even really a Christian concept. It goes way back into Judaism. Uh, Rabbis would teach about, they didn't call it the marriage supper of the lamb, but there was this belief that at the culmination of human history, when Messiah comes, that he is going to gather all of his people together for a banquet. And at this banquet, the Messiah, he's going to slay Bohemoth, which is the greatest of all the land animals. And he's going to slay the Leviathan, which is the greatest of all the sea creatures. And then he is going to have this eternal bread. And as we sit at this table, we are going to eat of the meat of the wild animals and we're going to take of the bread. And that bread is going to sustain us eternally. And so the people that kind of lean towards this camp, they believe when Jesus is talking about give us this day our daily bread, they are thinking more like anticipation. It's more of a prayer of anticipation. Lord, we are looking forward to the day where you will sustain us eternally with daily bread. Okay, so there are a number of different interpretations as to what the bread could mean. And again, I want to emphasize that none of these are necessarily wrong, okay? But for our purposes, I want to focus on the fifth interpretation um, because it's very practical. It's very helpful. I I, I think, I hope it's going to be very helpful um, for us. And when we interpret it, we basically take it, the text, for what it says. We believe that the bread could also be related to simply God providing us with daily provision, right? We believe that, as Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, that literally Jesus is saying, ask God to provide for your daily needs. Ask God to sustain your life daily to give you all that you need from day to day to day. And so we're going to tackle that a little bit. We're going to unpack a little bit about what this may mean or how it could be reminded. Here in just a few minutes, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Lord's Prayer, um, how I have kind of, uh, for years, I used the Lord's Prayer as like my, my prayer template, if you will. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go through the whole thing and just kind of um, show you what I've done. But, but tonight, what I want to do is I want to take this little portion where we talk about uh, give us this day our daily bread, and I want to show you kind of a, a, a practical sample plan that, you know, you can use or edit or throw away or whatever you want to do. Okay, so we'll do that in a minute. But first, what we need to do is we need to dig in a little bit to what it means that God provides us with daily provision, okay? So number one in your notes, it is important that we remember that God provides us with our daily needs. In our Western 21st century mindset, um, we are not really, most of us at least, are not suffering in the sense that we're worried about our needs being met from day to day. Does that make sense? The vast majority of Americans do not live in a state where they're worried if they're going to have food to eat tomorrow. Okay, there are some, and as, as the body of Christ, we need to, to be helping these people, but the vast majority of people are not worried about where their next meal is coming from, right? As a matter of fact, if anything... We're on the opposite end of the spectrum. We're not worried about not eating enough. We're worried about eating too much, right? Uh, we're, you know, so we have to have like diets. We, we definitely don't have like a, a problem with lack. 
we have a problem with abundance, right? We, we live in a very decadent society. We're overwhelmed. Jesus, as he is speaking to his audience, you've got to understand that Jesus is speaking to a people that may not know where their next meal is coming from. You've got to understand that as he's speaking to thousands of people, that some of these people truly do not know what they're going to have for dinner tonight. They have to go and either hunt or gather their food if they want to fill their bellies, uh, depending on the night. So many of the people that Jesus is speaking to, they're living day by day by day. Their needs are not really sure if they're going to get met today or tomorrow. Some may have to, you know, fast a day because they can't find food or whatever. This is seen as Jesus is uh, uh, speaking to the 5,000 in the book of John. You remember this? And the Bible says that uh, uh, Jesus sent one of the guys into the local town. Hey, go, go rustle up some food. The disciple comes back and he says, there's no way that we can find enough food to feed all these people. And so he brings some fish and some loaves and Jesus multiplies it. But the point is, is that Jesus understood these people don't necessarily live in a place of abundance. These people are living in a place where day to day, they are not always sure if their needs are going to be met. And so Jesus's audience, it's very, very likely, I would be willing to argue this down, it's very, very likely that his first audience that hears Jesus say, give us this day our daily bread, that their mind immediately goes to the physical daily bread. Lord, meet our immediate needs, okay? But as Jesus is speaking to this audience, the first layer that they're gonna go is understanding that Jesus is probably talking about meeting our physical needs, right? But immediately following that, their mind is gonna go to another level and Jesus knows this. Jesus knows where their mind is gonna go. And when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he knows that their mind is gonna jump back to the Torah, he knows that their mind is going to jump back to Moses. He knows that their mind is going to go to the wilderness where the people of Israel, as they are in the wilderness, God is daily providing bread for their needs. So Jesus, knowing that their minds are immediately going to go there, Jesus begins to unpack this. So if you remember, way back in the book of Exodus, the Bible says that as Moses has been raised up by God to deliver the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, that as they are in process to the promised land, that they end up spending 40 years in the wilderness, in this desert place, right? And in this desert place, they were there because of their continued rebellion and disobedience. It was a trip that should have taken a number of weeks. It ended up taking an entire generation right? And so as they are in the wilderness, the first couple of weeks they're in the wilderness, they begin to complain to the Lord, right? They begin to complain to Moses and Aaron. And they say, Moses, why would God bring us out of Egypt, out of slavery? Why would he bring us to this, you know, on our way to this promised land so that we're just going to starve to death out here? And they start to say things like, it would have been better if God would have just left us in Egypt, because at least in Egypt, we had bread and we had meat and we could have died with full bellies. I mean, they are challenging. They are challenging the goodness of God, right? But in his goodness and in his graciousness, 
the Lord comes and he meets their need. The Bible says that as God goes and he begins to meet their daily needs, that he spreads out all over the land quail, dead birds just falling from the sky, right? Uh, just all over the land of the desert. The Bible then begins to go into the des description of something that was incredibly mystical that begins to happen. And this is what scripture says in Exodus 16. The Bible says, following the quail, that in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Okay, D-E-W, not D-O-O. There was a layer of dew. There was probably that too, okay? A layer of dew around the camp. But when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. The people of Israel called it manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. And so scripture basically says this in a nutshell. The people complained to God in his goodness and his loving kindness for the provision of the generations to come in the promised land. God says, I'm going to allow you to live, and I'm not just going to allow you to live. I'm going I'm to help you to survive. So he begins to send birds every day. He begins to cause dew to come on the floor of the desert. And as the sun comes up and the dew begins to evaporate, what the dew leaves behind is this, this flaky white type substance. And the Lord speaks to the people and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and collect enough for your family. Go and collect enough for your family. Get on the ground. So they're going and they're, they're collecting all of this from the ground. And the Bible says that they begin to take these flakes and they begin to mold it together. They begin to knead it together. It becomes a type of dough that they then begin to bake or they begin to boil. It ultimately becomes bread for them. The Lord tells him, he says, listen, but when you go out, you need to make sure that you don't take more than what you need, right? So the Lord is, in a moment we'll get here, but the Lord is basically saying, listen, don't go out and take what you want. Go out and take only what you need. And the Lord goes a step further and he says, listen, if you take more than what you need, that stuff will ruin by the next morning. There will be maggots. It'll be disgusting. You won't be able to eat it anyway because it'll smell so bad. So only take what you need except for on the day before the Sabbath. And the day before the Sabbath, what I want you to do is I want you to collect two days worth so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath, right? And so as the Lord is giving them this instruction, We've got to remember that this provision happened every single day for 40 years. For 40 years. Some of us have lived for 40 years. And some of us have seen the provision of God in miraculous ways. But the provision of God in this way every single day for 40 years, it is an incredible feat that God is doing, okay? But I, I want to remind us really quickly that although the Lord is, is instructing them, you know, only get what you need, that this is not a prayer that is birthed uh, out of poverty, right? It's, it's, not, it's not God saying, I'm up in heaven, I only have so many flakes to distribute over the next 40 years. We've got to be responsible here. He's not stewarding what he has. He makes it clear, I own all the animals of the field. I own a, the cattle of a thousand hills, right? I own the dollars of a thousand bank accounts. He owns it all. 
This is not about a lack from the Lord. It's about responsibility for the people, right? And so the prayer is not poverty-oriented by any sense of the imagination. The Lord is trying to build the faith of the people by reminding them that he ultimately is their sustenance. And he's not just their sustenance in a general cosmic sense, but he is their sustenance day in and day out. It is a, it is a prayer that is reminding us. Follow me. It, it's a prayer reminding us that in the same way that God provided today, he will provide tomorrow. It's a confidence reminding the people, even way back in Egypt, prophetically speaking, that though the Lord provided today, do not gather more than you need because surely he is faithful and will provide tomorrow. And it speaks all throughout the quarters of history, it speaks to us today, that just as God has provided for our needs today, he will surely provide for our needs tomorrow. And so it's important that we um, use this prayer as a reminder that he does provide for our daily needs. Number two, it is a reminder for us to focus on today. Man, I'm gonna tell you, in, in an age of anxiety in which we live. The words of Jesus need to ring so loudly in our ears. Jesus says, listen, in the same sermon, I mean, Jesus is covering a lot of material. You think me or pastor preach long, Jesus is covering a lot of material, hours, days. I mean, he's covering a lot of material in the Sermon on the Mount. And just a few sentences later after Jesus is talking about the Lord's prayer and the Lord providing for our daily bread, Jesus says this. He says, and can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can, can any one of you worry so much that it adds an hour, even an hour to your life. And the resounding echo would be no. As a matter of fact, it probably does the opposite. It's probably taken hours off of our life as we stress and have anxiety about so many things that are completely outside of our control. And so it is a very much a reminder to not be so focused on tomorrow, to be so focused on the future that we forget about what God's doing today. Right, So it's this, this good reminder that he's providing, but he's not just generically or providing in the future, that he's providing right now in this moment. Remember in Colossians, as Paul writes, he says, he is the created one, and he has created all things, and he is sustaining, he is holding all things together. In this very second, the oxygen in your lungs and my lungs are birthed there by the very hand of God. He is the sustainer of every morsel that we put in our mouths. He is the one who enables us to live and to move and to breathe. And so it's a reminder for us not to be so focused on what we cannot control, but to rest in the moment. I'll tell you what it does for me. It, 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 in a powerful way, it illuminates for me how obsessed I am with the future, right? If you probably are too, right? If you own a calendar, you are probably obsessed with the future, okay? More so than, than thousands of years of human history. Um, 
If you went into my office some years, um, you know, I, I used to buy this big, I used to buy a six foot wide, three foot tall calendar. It was a landscape calendar. And buddy, if, if you went in at the end of my year and you looked at my calendar, you would think I was a serial killer, right? Because it looks like one of those movies where they're like, they're like you know, plotting out their next victim and they got strings going over here and things written, all this stuff. And that's not even including my true day-to-day life. That's not even including, you know, lunches I go to or counseling sessions. This is just like when I'm going to be out of town and when I'm going to preach and all of these kind of things. And it is filled to the brim. And I'm, I'm, I find that as I read Jesus saying, listen, give us this day our daily bread. He's bringing me back to this moment. Now, listen to me. As, as a church, we plan our calendars 12 months in advance. Every August, September, we plan for the next 12 months. Now we're fluid, we're led by the Spirit, but we're making a plan, right? Jesus, out of all that, and I love to plan. I'm, I'm so enamored with, with being prepared when things are coming. But Jesus is calling out. He said, Corey, come back. Like, that's fine. That's good. There's nothing wrong with caring about the future or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that in a sense. But man, come back to this moment. Be reminded of this moment and what I'm doing right here. Don't be so overwhelmed because when you become overwhelmed, anxiety takes root and it can't add a single hour, even an hour to your life. And so he reminds us to stay focused on today. Number three, the prayer is a reminder that we have nothing without our Lord. The brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of Christ Jesus? I'm intimidated being around some of you as spiritual men and women of God. Can't imagine being around the Son of God as my brother. But James was, and he was a faithful man at that. This is what he says in James 1.17. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Understand what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, every good thing about your life, it didn't originate with you. It didn't originate with your parents' genetics. It didn't originate with your family history or what you inherited. Your intellect is a gift from God, it's not your own. Your abilities to do different things are not your own. They are gifts that have been loaned to you and will be taken from you in eternity. They are things that have been stewarded to you. Every good and perfect thing that we have is a gift from our Father, including every bite of food that we eat. And so he's reminding us again, not in an arrogant, bow before me type situation, but he's reminding us in this moment that everything good that you have is from the Father of lights, right? Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean, Jesus is not saying, look, the Father's gonna provide, you don't have to do anything, right? That's not what God is saying. Let me, let me emphatically say that is not what Jesus is saying, right? He's not saying, you know, well, God's gonna provide, you know, you can chill and you know, hang out, watch TV all day, don't worry about work, God's gonna provide. That is not what he's saying. Even that, you remember the manna we were talking about, the children of Israel, right? You, you understand, God provided the manna, but what did they do? 
They had to collect it, then they had to cook it, right? So it was this partnership with God, even though he is providing, I'm partnering him with him so that I can enjoy all that he is providing for me. And so it's a reminder that we have nothing without our Lord. Number four, it's a reminder to be content in all things. You notice Paul's writing, and you know this, he's learned to be content with a full belly, an empty belly. He's content whether he's living with plenty or living with less. He has learned the secret of contentment. As we think back about the children of Israel, the Lord is teaching them so many things with this manna, with this bread kind of thing. But one of the things that he's teaching them is that sometimes blessings come with testings, right? So, so scripture says this in Exodus 16, that as the Lord sends the manna as a blessing, that he tells Moses, he says, but tell them to only collect what they need for I am testing them in this. I am testing them in this. And so he is trying to teach the people, be content with what you have, right? Be content with what you have. Jesus, as he's praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, what's he saying? He's saying, look, if the Lord provides your needs in this way, be content with it. But if the Lord provides your needs in this way, be content with it. For it's the Lord who is providing, and we have to learn the secret of being content with what he has given us. So it's a reminder to be content in all things. Finally, number five is this. It is a reminder that God cares for our needs, okay? It is a reminder that God cares for our needs. Earlier, a few minutes ago when we were reading in Matthew 6, right before Jesus begins to pray the Lord's Prayer, he reminds the people, he says, listen, your father knows what you need before you ask him, right? The father knows what you need before you ask him, but yet he still wants you to ask him right? And so he is helping us be reminded that God cares for our needs. And when we have to ask God to care for our needs, it's a fresh reminder for us to stay in this mode of gratitude. And so it's important as we look at this to realize Jesus doesn't say, give us, uh, you know, this licorice our daily, or give us this day our licorice, you know, whatever. He doesn't say, give us this day our Coke, which I wish he would, or, you know, give us this day our chicken pot pie. He doesn't say, give us this. What does he say? He says, give us this day our daily bread, right? And the reason I think that Jesus uses, or one of the reasons that he uses the metaphor bread is what he's trying to say is that bread is not a want. Chicken pot pie is a want, right? A Pepsi is a want, a bad want, by the way, okay? A, a chicken pot pie is a want, but bread is not a want. Bread is a need because if you don't have bread to sustain you, you die, right? And so Jesus is building a case here that God knows what you need, not just what you want. And as our father, surely he will provide what we need, right? The trouble comes in when we inject ourselves into this conversation. And this is the reason why. Maybe it's just me, but I have a difficult time discerning what I need and what I want. It's very gray, right? Very gray area 
because sometimes um, there are things that, that I think that I need, but it's really just things that I want. And so you can probably identify with this on, on some level, right? There, there have been things in your life that um, there, there have been things that you wanted, but just didn't necessarily need, right? You thought you needed them. Like you remember that girlfriend or boyfriend in high school or university, you remember you thought so badly, I've got to marry this person, right? I, I, I need to marry this person. And thank God for his mercy that he didn't allow you to marry that person, right? Because God in his sovereignty said, no, 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 you think you need it, but you really just want it. I know what you need. Let me give you what you need, right? Uh, there are moments where we, we, we think we need something, but we really just want that thing. And then there are things that we want that we really, you know, or we don't want that we really need. And God in his fatherhood is faithful to do this. And this is what we need to get to, right? We need to get to a place where we trust God to provide what we need. We have to get to a place as we mature in the Lord, as we develop in our walk with him, that we are more focused on the things that we need, not the things that we want, okay? Um, I serve as executive pastor here, right? And um, it means I juggle a lot of different things. I juggle a lot of different responsibilities. Um, I thought youth ministry was hard, okay? But, but uh, I, I juggle a lot of responsibilities. I'm thankful to do it. I love to serve the church any way that I can. But oftentimes what will happen is I'll have department leaders or, you know, ministry leaders that will come into the office and they'll ask questions about a thousand different things, whatever the case may be. And what they'll do oftentimes is ask my opinion. You know, what do you think I should do with, with this? Should I purchase this or this? Or which direction should I go? How should I deal with this conflict? All this kind of stuff. And a lot of times I will listen and I will give feedback the, the best that I know how, right? But more and more, the more I'm in this role, I'm learning as I, as I learn the different people that, that serve at the church, I'm learning that more and more I can look at certain individuals and I can look at them and I can say, listen, I understand what's going on, okay? And this is kind of my opinion, but this is what I've learned to say more and more and more. But you need to do whatever you think is best because you know what's needed. I am from the outside looking in. I don't know what's needed in the moment. I can tell you my opinion, but this is your world, right? You operate in this. You know at the end of the day what's needed. And this is what I say. I say, I trust your opinion. And listen, I'm not going to lie to them, okay? If I don't trust them, I'm not going to tell them I trust their opinion. But oftentimes I'll say, listen, you need to do what you feel like is best in this situation. I trust your opinion. This is your world. Go make it happen. And they do it nine times out of 10. It's amazing. They crush it. It's, it's incredible, right? When it comes to our relationship with the Father and us getting the things that we need, we've got to understand that though we don't see clearly always or discern well between or distinguish between the things that we want and the things that we need, we've got to take a step back and say, Father, I know that like I'm super involved in this moment and this is what I want. This is, you know, what I think I need or whatever the case may be. We need to take a step back and say, but Father, this is your world. You do whatever you feel like is best. 
and I'll deal with the consequences. Father, you provide whatever is needed from your perspective, and I will flow along with that. Why? Because God is the sustainer. He is the provider. I'm not the provider. He is the provider. And if that is the world that he operates in, who the heck am I to step in and tell him what to do? That is his world. I need to trust him and I need to let him do what he feels like is best. And so the reality is this, is that as children, God is going to provide what we need, not always what we want, okay? There's a caveat here. God also, because we are his children, cares about the things that we want, right? He cares about the things that we want. As a child, I can go before my father and, and I have the right to ask for bread, right? I have the right to say, Lord, provide for my need. Uh, I need some bread. I have the right to do that. Now, if the Lord wants to throw in some chicken and, you know, different things like that, so be it. Praise his name, right? But as a child, my responsibility is just to go and say, Father, whatever it is that I need, please provide what I need. And again, the caveat is that he also cares for what we want, right? So you remember as Jesus is praying in Matthew 15, he says something incredibly interesting here. As he is about to go to the cross, he makes a statement to his disciples. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted to you, okay? Now, that one sentence needs about six different sermons to really unpack and explain and interpret it properly. Okay, we don't have the time to do that. But my point is simply this. Jesus is acknowledging that yes, there are some things that you need and the Father is gonna provide, but he's also acknowledging there are some things that you want and I care about those things too, right? Um, I, I'll never forget, I told you guys last week about uh, you know, our journey coming to, to South Carolina and the will of the Lord just really you know, trying to seek God's um, face over it all. Um, once we got here, um, a few months, or it was, it was probably two years after we had got here, we were, you know, leading the youth and young adult ministry, and we really felt like the, the favor of God was on us, and there was fruit, it was very, fruit. I was just so thankful for what the Lord was doing. Out of the blue, I get a call from a church in, in uh, uh, Kansas City, or excuse me, not Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And it's the pastor of, of this church, and it's, it's, a, it's a very large church, and he is, um, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm like, how did you get my phone number, right, kind of thing. But anyway, through a series of events, he got connected and all this stuff. And he calls and he says, listen, I would love to fly you out to take a look at our church. Um, we, we, are, we are a church of 5,000 right now with one campus. And over the next five years, we want to have 10 campuses. And we want you to come out and to pastor the first campus, and that, that we begin to do this. And I was like, what the, I just got to Christian life, right? And I know that the hand of the Lord was with us and got us all this kind of stuff. So I, I had a couple phone calls, a couple conversations. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the guy, I, I'm not going to say names or anything like that, obviously, but the guy totally lost it. He, you know, at one point I had said, no, I'm not really interested. I really feel like the Lord has set us here. And he said, is this a money thing? Because, you know, we'll, we'll pay you more money than you ever thought you could make in ministry. And I said, I said, uh, see, that's where you lost me because you think this is about money. There's a problem, right? And so um, there, there were all these things I had decided ultimately not to go clearly, right? But in the midst of it, 
in the midst of it, and I'm not making this up, in the midst of it, I remember being like, Father, I, I don't want to go, right? I feel like you've called me here. I want to fulfill this purpose here, right? And I remember distinctly as I was trying to tell you, you know, Lord, why would this person just call out of the blue? It seems very bizarre. What do I do? All this kind of stuff. And I remember just as plain as day, the Lord saying, which one of these do you want to do? And I remember in, instinctively, I said, I want to stay, right? And the Lord said, then stay. I'm, I'm fine with this. If you want to stay, you stay. And I'm so thankful that I did. Okay, I celebrate the goodness of God and all that. But, but here is ultimately my point. I was faced with this life-altering. And by the way, do you know in Oklahoma, they have tornadoes that are like bigger than this church, right? And I don't know if you know this, but like I have, have tornado-a-phobia, okay? Like I, for all of my life, I thought I was marked for death by tornado. As a child, I was just terrified of tornado. They have tornadoes, and that was one of my arguments. I was like, Father, listen, here's the deal. They got tornadoes that are big out there. I don't want to go, right? My point is ultimately this. In the scope of this potentially life-altering decision, the Lord just came in my turmoil and he said, okay, well, what do you want? And it was one of the first times, if not the first time, that I felt like God was clearly asking me, what do you want? He wasn't saying, what do I want? And I know this is incredibly subjective, okay? I, I know that. But he wasn't asking me, hey, Corey, you need to do what I'm saying. The Lord in his goodness was saying, listen, what do you want? And it spoke so powerfully to me that the God of all creation, the sovereign one, knowing what decision I would ultimately make, but he still came to me and said, but which one do you want? Because I care about what you want. And it was a pivotal moment for me in my life, in my relationship with the Lord. It was a pivotal moment there. And I'm so thankful that God did it. Um, but it, it, it reminded me of his faithfulness. Okay, so we've got 10 minutes left. Are you guys still with me? Are we good? Okay. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I just, again, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to walk through the entire Lord's Prayer with you as, as like a template and tell you how I used it for years. I don't really use it as a template anymore. I do a different thing. Um, but I still try to pray the Lord's Prayer, you know, daily, periodically, um, whatever. But um, tonight what I want to do is I want to I focus in this one little part where the Lord uh, says, give us this day our daily bread. And the way I want to approach it is to just show you simply the, like, I just basically made a, a, a prayer schedule. That's all I did. Okay, it's nothing fancy or big or anything like that. But I just want to walk you through because I realize in, in you know, a crowd this, uh, this size with, you know, so diverse, um, there may be people here that are, you know, far, you know, mature in their prayer life. And there may be some that don't even have a prayer life and everything in between. And so um, I just want to give you a tool that may be able to help you if you're kind of in that beginning or in between phase. And so this is what I would do as I would make my way through the Lord's Prayer. I would get to the place um, where I would pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. And so basically what I would, actually, let me say this before we even get into that. I need to he provided. Yes, Lord, he did provide. He provided yesterday and he will provide today. Okay. Um, so earlier when Jesus is speaking, right, in Matthew 6, he makes a statement where he talks about don't, you know, stand on the corners and have these long drawn out prayers, 
right? This is a little side note, a little helpful thing, but I feel like I just need to share this. Jesus is not condemning long prayers. Understand that. He's condemning the attitude of the heart that says, look at me while I pray these long prayers. I'm very pious. I'm holy. Follow after me. He's condemning the attitude, not the action, right? He actually affirms long seasons of prayer. He models it in his own life. But then in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he do? He goes to the disciples and he says, couldn't you pray with me for an hour? I mean, that's a, that's a long time to pray. And so Jesus is not condemning long prayers. He's affirming them. And, and he's not condemning short prayers either. Sometimes the best prayer that you could pray is help me, Jesus, right? Like that's the best that you can do in some moments. So it's not about whether short prayers are better or long prayers are worse or anything like that. Neither is better or worse. It's about the condition of the heart. It's the attitude of the soul as we go into that place with God, okay? So I just wanted to clear that up from, from earlier, okay? So this is how I would break down uh, this moment when I would go into uh, praying, uh, give us this day or daily bread. On Mondays, what I would typically do is pray for my family, right? I'm praying for um, Joy, Autumn, Easton, Ella, Emery, Aubrey, the 38 other kids. I'm praying for all the kids, right? I'm praying for the entire family. I'm praying for them spiritually, mentally, um, emotionally, I'm praying for physical protection. Um, you know, I'm praying a thousand different things for my family. I'm praying, God, you know, give them good and godly friends and God make them a good and godly friend. You know what I'm saying? Develop their character, who they are. May they always love the Lord and may they always love our family. May they be repulsed by perversion as it comes their way. Lord, you know, cover them when, under the shadow of your wings. Lord, Lord, protect my family. So I'm, I'm praying for my family on Mondays as I'm going through this. On Tuesdays, I'm praying for the ministries, the missionaries, and what I call the misery, okay? I'm a pastor, so sometimes you just got to get the alliteration going, the M, 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 okay? So I'm praying on Tuesdays. So every Tuesday when I'm praying, I'm praying for every single pastor by name. I'm praying for their spouse. I'm praying oftentimes for their children, um, for their grandchildren. Um, I'm praying for the office staff, the custodial staff, um, uh, the SESL staff. Um, I'm praying for um, all of their needs that I'm aware of. I'm praying for their families. I'm praying for a fruitful ministry. I'm praying for fresh anointing. I'm praying for vision for their lives, uh, for favor over their lives. Um, so, so I'm really trying to cover um, the ministries of the church. I'm praying for missionaries that, that I know by name. I know where they're located. I'm, you know, uh, I'm praying for the persecuted church. Um, I'm praying in the, in, the same, uh, in the same note, I'm trying to pray for uh, people who I know are sick in their bodies, right? Uh, here at the church, we have a ministry called Life Care. And so every week the pastors get an update um, for, for those in the church family who are sick. And sometimes we're able to, you know, kind of belabor over them in prayer and their specific need. And other times it's like, God, you know, Bob's need, touch Bob and Sue too. And, you know, and so we just kind of go down. But regardless, the point is, is that I am intentionally praying. Okay, I'm intentionally focused as I'm saying, Father, give us this day our daily bread. I am going through a litany of things that I know are needed in my life and in the lives of other people. Okay, so Monday's family, Tuesday's ministries and the sick. And then on Wednesdays, I would try to do what I call like a, a, a worship day, right? So this is a day 
when I would try to go and instead of asking the Lord for a lot of things or all these plethora of needs, I would just take a step back and say, Lord, in my, I'm going to do my very best not to ask for anything. All I'm going to do is ascribe worship to your name, right? And so I would, you know, oftentimes just sit in God's presence, whatever. Um, Obviously, there is a time where we need to be specific in our prayers and chisel away at needs, different things like that. This is modeled all throughout scripture. Jeremiah, Daniel, Paul, uh, Jesus, you know, all very specific prayers. But there are times when we just need to soak in the presence of the Lord, right? There, the psalmist, this is what he said, one of the, several different times, but one of the times he says, listen, as you lay in your bed at night, meditate on the Lord and be still. Meditate, worship the Lord and just be still. Let this spiritual osmosis kind of begin to take shape as you go into the presence of the Lord. Let him seep into your pores, right? So what this does is this takes my prayer life kind of out of my hands. And it says, Lord, I want you to come I'm inviting you to do whatever it is you want to do. Whatever you want to speak, I'm going to sit here and be quiet. I'm going to worship. I'm, I'm going to sit here and shut up. You speak. Do what you want to do in these moments. And so Wednesdays really tried to just take time for that. On Thursdays, I'm praying for the nation, right? Or at least in this season, um, every Thursday, I was trying to pray for the nation. I'm praying for the president. I'm praying for their spouse. I'm praying for their children. I'm praying for the cabinet that's going to influence the president. I'm praying for Congress. I'm praying for the different political parties. I'm praying for the Supreme Court. I'm praying for our military. I'm praying for all first responders. I'm praying for local government, um, kind of like on, on every level. And this is what I'm praying. I'm praying, Father, first and foremost, turn their hearts towards you. No man can know the condition of another man's heart, okay? But Father, regardless of the condition of your heart, I'm asking you to continue to shift that towards the purposes of God. I'm asking you, Lord, to give them a very real sense of humility and to understand the gravity of the position that they hold, not only for our nation and our people, but for the entire world. I'm asking for wisdom that is not common wisdom, that's not earthly wisdom, but wisdom that flows from heaven. I'm asking them to be anointed to fulfill the purposes of God in their calling. On Friday, what I'm doing is I'm going back to family, but I'm also including friends. This is like extended family. I'm praying for salvation and protection, destiny, all the things that I'm praying for my family. I'm praying there. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, it was usually very selective. I may just, you know, I may take a worship day or I may just focus to pray on, you know, a very pressing need or whatever the case may be. And so all I'm saying is this, is that I wanted to share with you kind of a template. So again, if you're, you're in this place and you may be like, dude, there's no way I'm going to pray seven days a week. Okay, that's fine. Start where you're at. The, listen to me. The purpose of prayer does not revolve around time. Okay, it does not revolve around time. It does not revolve around words. It revolves around a commitment. It revolves around just, I'm gonna show up, Lord. It's just like marriage oftentimes is that, Lord, I don't have to be this superstar in prayer today. I just need to show up and I need to be with you. And so start where you're at. If that's three times a week or one time a week or whatever the case may be, find yourself in the presence of the Lord and create some type of plan for yourself that will help you stay on track. Let me tell you one of the, one of the 
best and worst things that, that I saw through all my years in youth ministry is I would see so many young people that were so hungry for the presence of God, but they would spend all of their time in prayer, not praying, but just in worship. And, and like I said, there are moments for that where we need to soak in the presence of God. But we are called to be a house of prayer, not just a house of worship. We are called to that, but not just a house of worship. But we are to make headway in the spiritual realm, and we do that through our active prayer lives by chipping things away in the spirit. And so um, I just want to encourage you in this to kind of find yourself in the presence of the Lord um, as we go through all this. And so we're going to wrap it up um, with prayer, but, but let me just remind you of this. If you, I said a whole lot tonight. If you don't remember a lot of what I said, remember this. That when Jesus calls us to pray for our daily bread, that again, he is putting a piece of bread in our hand to remind us that in the same way that he provided today, he will provide tomorrow. The needs that he met today are the needs that he will meet tomorrow because at the end of the day, he is God in heaven. He is the supreme being. He is all of that. But at the end of the day, he is your heavenly father and you are his son or you are his daughter and he cares for you. Amen. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your help. And I thank you for your people tonight. Will you help us, Lord, to be reminded of your goodness and your care, your concern for us. And we will bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen.